Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is a returning guest. She's been on, we talked about her book, earlier uh, tech with heart uh i enjoy talking with her had a had a, a time to spend a little time with her at, at ISTE in philadelphia one of my favorite people so i wanted to bring her on because she's doing big things around here people she's everywhere and i wanted her to go on and talk about her journey as an entrepreneur so it's stacy roshan coming back so for those who be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Stacey? Hi. Thank you for having me back, first of all. I always learn so much from you, and I can't wait for our conversation today. Um, I am Stacey Roshan. I work at a K-12 independent school. I'm the Director of Innovation and Educational Technology there. Um, I also have taught high school math. Uh, AP Calculus has been my course for a number of years now. And over the years, I've really found technology has been a huge solution um, in terms of the relationships I'm able to, um, you know, I deepen with my students. And I think that to me is why I've fallen so in love with educational technology is because it really is about the connections and the personalization I'm able to give my students. Awesome. So I'm always curious as to how did people get to where they, where they are. So what did you think you would be doing when you were growing up? And how did you find yourself in K through 12 education? Well, I always loved math um, from ever since I can remember. My mom is a math teacher. She taught me math um, early and really got my love of math going because she helped me really understand the beauty in math. And there is so much beauty in math. Um, now, you know, I didn't want to follow in her footsteps. Um, I think a lot of us go through that. Um, and so I decided I was going to study applied math. So I studied economics with a real theory base. So I did, you know, it was all calculus based where I learned. Um, and then I went to grad school and I continued to study economics. I started as an economist. So I did economic consulting for just a little over a year, about a year and a half. I didn't like it at all. I didn't like having a desk job. Um, I wanted more interaction with people. And so I decided, you know, I had tutored math all growing up. Um, my mom actually taught, um, she taught at a school, but she also taught at a local community college as a, another job. And I would go with her when she was teaching and I would go to the math center and I would volunteer tutor there, which if anybody who is, you know, a kid has an opportunity to tutor in math, gosh, there's no better way to learn math, I think, than when we teach. So I hope that we all do that as much as we can in the classroom. Tutoring made me, I think, it was the best experience that I ever could get, get a great level of empathy with that one-on-one -on -one, um, work. So I always knew that I loved 
kind of teaching math. I didn't know I loved teaching it in a classroom yet. I decided um, after I didn't like the economic consulting, I was going to just try something else as like a temporary little thing was my first thought to be perfectly honest. I found a great um, job. It just was like the perfect fit for me at um, the Bullis School. And now that was 14 years ago that I found that. So it wasn't so temporary after all. Um, I just loved it. Um, and my love of it has only grown. So I didn't know I was going to be here. <laughs> wow. So you're teaching in the classroom. You're doing all of these things. Take me back to when you decided I'm going to do something else with these skills. Who reached out to you? Um, you know, like so much of my journey has just been passion driven. Um, and it just has kind of all fallen into place over the years. Even like writing a book. I did not set out to write a book. I still don't even know how my book happened. Um, I mean, I do kind of know, but you know, it like wasn't this huge goal. I just started accumulating all of these blog posts and I was writing in my journal privately also. And I saw that people were interacting with that and wanted more of it. So I decided to just put it all together and, you know, it, like it evolved into this book that I wrote where it was the telling of my journey and how I've gotten to where I am from the student that I was and how that's influenced the teacher that I have become. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of it is actually built on the relationships that I've built along the way. Um, I'm a huge believer in the power of like, you know, you're your authentic self. You tell um, your story. You also ask people for help along the way and you are good to those people and you follow up with those people. And then you, you know, form trusting partnerships. And I think for me, that's been a lot of what's happened over the years. Um, you know, i was a Pear Deck user. I loved using Pear Deck. I wanted more out of Pear Deck. So I started, that was where my relationship started. I was like, I love using this. I uh, wrote blog posts about it. I posted some videos on how I was using it because I genuinely, it was just great for me. I was not getting money for it. I wasn't asking for money for it. I was just telling what I was doing. And then Slowly, I was like, hey, um, maybe you could build this. I think this would be awesome. And this is why. And so I think that's also a really important piece, not just saying like, I want this, but explaining exactly why you need that and how that's going to take your classroom to the next level. And so then it was like, well, I got to beta test some things with this company. And, you know, so then it became a working relationship where I was able to influence some of the direction um, that they built. I mean, it wasn't my ideas, but I did get to influence it. And I think that to me has been something that I've really um, enjoyed so much is just having that opportunity to weigh in on um, the direction that, that some of these tools take, because I think the best ed tech companies are always reaching out to educators and asking them, what do you need? Why do you need that? How do you see this playing into your classroom? Mm -hmm. And as you just mentioned, you've been able to develop relationships with ed tech companies. How does an, an entrepreneur, a, a teacher go about 
networking and establishing relationships with these companies that could turn into contract work? Yeah. Um, so again, for me, it was an evolution. So it didn't start with me reaching out to any companies and asking, um, and I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong. I'm just telling you my journey here. Um, I, it didn't start with me asking for contract work. It really was just, um, I became a coach through some of the companies. Um, I went through their program of, you know, like to become an ambassador for their product because I was using it a lot. Um, and I just wanted to share my enjoyment and my love of that. And I started speaking at conferences about it. And then the more I was speaking about it, they started reaching out to me and saying, hey, could you potentially um, speak at this conference and we will pay for your registration for the conference or we'll help you out to get to this conference. Um, and so it's just kind of built, it's continued to build and build. And I've certainly by now doing a lot more, you know, your name gets out there um, and people see you. I think, you know, there's been so many different feelings about this whole COVID situation. But the one thing that has been, um, I think it's helped me get my voice out more because so much of the information is being recorded and shared and many times for free, people can watch it anywhere on YouTube or anything. And so they're able to watch. And I've definitely been contacted by companies after that because they say, hey, it just watched your message and that really resonates with us. Um, and so that's been a nice part. Mm -hmm. So you talked about how you didn't want to be a teacher and how you actually do have degrees in economics. And, you know, once you started consulting, how did you use your education to assist you in understanding uh, how to start a business? Yeah, it's a great question. I wish I had a little bit more of the business savvy sometimes. I don't think that I, I, I don't think I've picked up enough in that skill set yet. Um, I'll say that my main interest in studying economics was actually behavioral economics. Um, and so understanding people and understanding how they um, react. So doing um, more stuff like in, a lot of people are familiar with industrial organizational psychology, what makes people happy in the workplace, um, what makes people choose one option over another option. Um, and so I think that to me, that's the biggest thing that has one of the biggest things that's I think made me successful as a teacher too, is just always thinking about, well, if I do X, how might my student react to that. And I'm always thinking from that, like um, kind of cost benefit analysis in my head and um, that decision theory type of, of work. And that has always been the most interesting to me, the psychology of like how we think and how we approach things. And so I think that's why, you know, we've talked number of times already in just our little chat today is is the relationship building because I think that's really where we build trust with somebody and then that's where we really get somewhere and that's where also people 
are willing and wanting to help me out and help me learn along the way because like they know that genuinely like I'm interested in you know them and they will show that that reciprocal um interest back to me so I do a lot of thinking about about that. Um, and I think that's something like, I think a lot about like YouTube and mm -hmm. what's made YouTubers uh, blow up and not to say that's like my goal. It's, it's not my goal. And I, you know, a lot of things that I like see and observe are things that I still don't do in my videos. Cause it's not like, that's not my goal for right now. My goal is not to become a YouTuber. Um, at least not for now. And I, I'll never say never because clearly where I've ended up now is not where I thought I would ever be. So, um, but I think it's just interesting to observe uh, behavior and what, how other people will react. Mm. So, you know, earlier in the introduction, I mentioned that you are the author of Tech with Heart. And for those who didn't listen to the episode or nor of your book, uh, please tell us what your book is about and how are you using that book to garner speaking engagements? So my book is really focused on how technology can help us bring a deeper level of compassion into our classrooms and our teaching and also to help students gain new confidence and a new voice. Um, so I try and focus a lot on how technology tools can be a way for students com to communicate with us in different ways. So maybe the quiet student who doesn't usually raise their hand, how do we allow them to be a very vocal participant in our classroom, even if they're not gonna be the one to speak up to raise their hand? I don't think being vocal has to always be, especially with our technology that we have, doesn't always have to be that kid who is going to raise their hand and speak up. They could type their answer on their computer and then we can bring it to the board for a discussion and we can still draw on that student's voice, bring it to the table um, or give students some more sit and think time, give them the opportunity to create videos, um, become really creative in their work. Um, so that's part of my book. Another big piece of my book is it's my journey. It is, it is me um, from the time I was a kid, I really struggled with perfectionism, um, an unhealthy level oftentimes of wanting to be the perfect student. I was also very introverted in the classroom. I just had this uh, immense need to please my teachers and um, my parents. And I thought that perfect scores was what that meant. And now I've learned that is not what it meant. And I try and really share that with my students. Um, also, but it's really influenced kind of uh, flip my classroom because I wanted more time for kids to be able to work in the classroom. I wanted to get away from the board so that I could walk around and understand and pick up on student needs as they were talking in groups about their work because as they're talking about their work, they're talking about other things too. Um, and I just wanted to be there to hear that. I wanted to also see how students were working through problems. Things that I didn't feel that anybody picked up on when I was a teen because, you know, like 
I had great teachers, really great teachers, but there wasn't the time for it when the teacher had to be at the front of the room doing so much lecture. And the, the reality is like, there wasn't really, there wasn't really that many other ways to do things. Um, I feel like when I was in school, but now we have so many more options with, um, you know, everybody can stream a YouTube video. Technology in the home, I think has been a big change in what we can do. And, you know, I think there's so many different models. Like I described my flipped classroom model. I know that at some schools, like teachers don't want to do as much homework. And I even write about that, that it's, for my AP calculus class, well, the videos, their homework, that's so much less homework than they were getting before. So it's been a real stress reliever, but you know, you can set up a station rotation model in the classroom where a part of the class is watching the video and that just engages them in a way that they're self-sufficient. So you can work with a smaller group. Like there's so many models in there. And I think that's where teaching is fun. There's not a one size fits all. It's not a one size fits all, even for you as a teacher. You go into one class one year, it's different than the way you're gonna run it the next year. And, you know, we can tweak and adjust the model based on our students, our students' needs, and also our styles. Mm -hmm. And what about the speaking? Oh yeah. Um, so that again, like, you know, people have read the book and so they've reached out. Um, maybe a school has been looking for professional development to follow up on that. Um, sometimes teachers, you know, I talk about a set of tools that I've found the most success in, in my book. So sometimes schools will see, oh, we use those same tools. We'd like to do that also. Um, and then also just, you know, being able to share the book. Um, I use Twitter a lot as my platform to engage. And um, so that's been another powerful way. And then just word of mouth, like that, you know, again, can be the most powerful thing. Somebody reads it and, and it um, resonates with them and they tell somebody else. And then that has led to, you know, speaking engagements just from there. Hmm. So one of the things that I've you know, when I talk to teachers, when they ask me, well, how do I do this? How do I get started? You know, I, I tell them, you know, you got to hit the conference circuit, right? You got to, particularly when you're trying to build that name for yourself. And it's also a good practice for you to be able to, you know, present and speak in front of audiences that don't know you. So they're not at your school district and you're able to you know, roll out something and go, okay, this worked, it didn't work, et cetera. So it's a good training ground for you. Uh, I saw you at ISTE, you know, Philadelphia. And I was like, oh, look at Stacey Coates. All right. Uh, how did you determine, you know, the skills that you were going to display at, the, at and showcase at conferences um, skills that maybe at the time you didn't think about, but now you know that people are willing to pay for? Yeah, great question. Um, so, you know, like when I started speaking at conferences, it was always me proposing. Um, you know, only more recently has it been that conferences reach out to me um, or people reach out to me. I mean, it was always me proposing um, at the beginning. And so, you know, just that process of even proposing that such a good practice because it really did get me to 
um, reflect on what was going well and what I wanted to showcase the most, kind of like exactly your question, I had to ask myself that, like, what in my classroom right now is something that's like so radical that I want to share it with others. And I think that, you know, it is something that people are going to sit for an hour and really benefit from and then consolidating it down into like, what are my learning objectives here for other people who want to watch it? And the practice of just writing a proposal is great. Um, It's a very reflective process. And it also just like, I have loved looking back at old proposals because Mm -hmm. it shows your growth over the years. It shows where you are at and where you've gotten to now. Um, And so, you know, for me, my, my conference speaking started with my flipped classroom um, and really focusing on what that meant to me. And so when I started speaking, I didn't want to talk about just like how I flipped my classroom because Honestly, like, yes, getting the right tools and getting the workflow right, it took me a number of years. I didn't use them all right at the beginning. Not all the tools that are that I use now were even available at the time. But I really wanted to get at, like, the way, the, the process, my thought process in getting there, what we tried in getting there, why I was flipping my classroom and what it meant to me. And also, really, how I helped my students get there. Because I mm-hmm. think... Um, over the years, what I've discovered is what I was talking about was shifting the ownership of the learning, um, really, and putting a lot more onto the student. Um, but that's hard. And when you first even talk to parents about it, right, it's almost intimidating to them because they think, well, in the classroom, uh, my student should just be watching you do the lecture and they're going to absorb all that knowledge because you are telling it to them but that's not really the way things work. Like we know that as educators, but it's hard to sometimes explain that, you know, the students are going to learn the most when we give them all these resources. We put those um, building blocks into place for them. And then we allow them to take Mm -hmm. that, to figure it out, to soar with it, to really put the pieces together and now problem solve on their own and we are there to help facilitate that. So to me, that has been what the flipped classroom is all about. Was I able to verbalize it all like that when I first started flipping my classroom? No, because I wasn't even realizing all those pieces yet. I was still like learning along the way. And I kept saying like my first, uh, I remember when I went to my first conference, I was talking about my flipped classroom. I was like, hey, I have like this great side benefit of flipping my classroom because I thought I was going to be running around everywhere and answering all these questions because that's how it was before I flipped my classroom. I had like so many questions to get to. And then when I flipped my classroom, I was like, wow, like my students aren't asking me so many questions anymore because they wanted to help one another. I just wasn't giving them enough time before. Um, And so, you know, it's like all these little things that I've learned along the way of really, I think what it gets to at the end of the day Mm -hmm. is shifting the ownership back over to the student. But how do we do that so that we are really supporting kids along the way so that they feel like, like you are there for them when they need you the most um, and that we can really help them build their confidence. Cause that's what I feel like at the end of the day, 
it's a lot about when I can get students really confident, um, they do so much more than Mm -hmm. when they are continually doubting themselves. Mm. So I want to throw this out there to you. How do you stay fresh? Uh, How do you stay motivated? Because, you know, those of us who have been doing ed tech, like you've been doing creating these videos and blogging and talking about this for years. Mm-hmm. And now because of the pandemic, it seems like, you know, what you're doing, what uh, the work that, you know, Dr. Kellen Tucker is doing now is like, it's everywhere. And everyone's like, we need this, we need this, we need this, but you've been doing this for so long. Mm-hmm. How do you, stay fresh, like keep your mind in the game, you know, making sure that you push yourself, that you keep reinvesting in yourself to learn more, to dig deeper, to find out new ways. Yeah. I mean, part of it is like, I genuinely love this stuff so much. I mean, I geek out at it totally. It's just, I'm so lucky to, um, you know, sometimes like I, feel like I'm like working too hard. I'm not giving myself enough breaks. And then I say, how lucky I am that like some of my hobbies match totally with like my work Um, because it's just what I love doing. I love reading about this stuff. Like on my free time, I will be reading articles about self-improvement because it's self-improvement for me that I then feel like, I mean, you can think and read into it about how we apply this to students. There's so much written for adults that you really can apply to best practices in teaching for students. And so I think to me, it's almost like why I love math, because you're reading things that aren't written specifically. This is my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. Reading things that aren't specifically written for an educator, but then, um, you apply it in a way that like you're helping kids, you know? So like, you have to rethink it a little bit. So uh, I think that comes from my love of economics. So there's a lot of books on like behavioral economics that you'll read. Um, I'm just reading another one by the Heath brothers, you know, like there's so many good books out there that are about nothing about teaching at all, but more about behavior. And you're like, okay, let me apply this to the classroom. I also love that about tech tools. So um, like when I started using Flipgrid, I started using it in my math class. This was a long time ago. Now so many math teachers are using it, but that was part of my relationship with the Flipgrid team. They're like, this is so clever. Like I was having my kids literally like hover their cell phone over a piece of paper and talk out their math process, but I was able to get like such rich insight into how students were thinking through problems. They're like, "Mm, we haven't seen this before, you know? So I think that's been some of my favorite things. I used the timelining tool to help my math students um, track their growth over the trimester and really reflect, think about how they would solve a problem, how they solved it in the past, how they're now solving it now. And then to talk about the growth in their thinking over that time. So I was using a timelining tool. And so that company that was with Sutori and they reached out to me, they were like, we've never seen a math teacher use this tool before. So I think, I think that's what keeps it fresh. Like I'm looking at things that have been done by others, but I'm trying to like put a new spin on it. And um, I think being a math teacher is a lot of fun in that because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of 
of tools that have been used over the years by uh, social studies teachers um, and by English teachers that really can work well in a math classroom too. And so I like to think about that. And then I can also work with all the teachers at my school and I get all their perspectives. So I think that's the other thing that helps me out a lot. I'm like constantly, if it's not with students of my own, I'm playing in other other classrooms and I have the most amazing colleagues that allow me to try things out with them. So for that, I'm like super grateful. I'm at a great school where teachers want to try things out, allow me into their classes. Even if I don't go physically into a classroom, I'm able to help plan it. We're able to do it together. Mm -hmm. So we learn together. Mm -hmm. And so when you're working with someone, how do you from their behavioral standpoint, get them over, not, not only sort of understanding the importance and the, the, the shift in what they're doing, but sort of get them sort of, you know, over the hump. You know, I've told people that not that it's easy, but the easier part of my job is push this button, push that button. The more difficult part of my job is getting a teacher to rethink how they teach and to approach education from a different lens. You know, you know, I I was doing the training today, you know, earlier today with teachers and, you know, they're about, we're going district-wide with Schoology and they were using Google Classroom. So I said, look, this is happening in January. And so we're doing the training and then some of the teachers were like, oh my gosh. And I told them up front, look, I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. It's going to be a lot of work up front to go from that to this. This is a, a full on learning management system. But once you do this and you, and I walked them through how to you, how do you do gradual release within the learning management system? How do you do all that? Sometimes I, I feel like, okay, everything is clicking, everything is awesome. And then there's old times to where I'm, I'm like, mm, because they want that comfort of what they know. Mm-hmm. And we no longer live in that way. And I've even told teachers, your students are not you. Your students don't live like you. Your students, I mean, you got students now, they've never, if you show them a VCR, they probably ask you, what is that? But they don't know anything about that. So their lives are connected and engaged and and intermingled with technology differently from ours, right? So Mm -hmm. when you're working with with teachers and, you know, yes, you you know, you got the Wacom, you're doing your thing with them, but you're into the behavioral piece. And when you are working with teachers and they ask you and they tell you, I don't know about this, Stacy. This is kind of difficult, Stacy. Why should I be doing this, Stacy, when I've been doing this for the past 15 years? How do you work that out with teachers? Yeah. Um, so I, I I agree with you. And do I get to every single teacher at my school? No. I mean, I'm not gonna lie about that in any way. Um but I start, I, I usually start with my teachers who um, 
I know that, you know, they're going to work with me. So they become my models. Um, and then we're able to do some awesome work together. And a lot of our teachers work on teams together. So when one teacher does it, the person on their teaching team, they're helping them out. Um, they're influencing them. They're working with them directly. So maybe they'll set it up for them the first time. Um, that's another thing that I really do is when I work with teachers, I create most of the tutorials for the students in the classroom so that I can at least take that nervousness part from the teacher. Um, Cause a lot of times that's the most nerve wracking part is just like getting started. Well, what if the kid has problems? Like I'm not gonna be able to help them. I don't really understand how to help them. So I try and create that um, for them. And I'm the person that the student can uh, contact if they're having problems. So again, I'm, I think that I'm lucky in that I work at, you know, an independent school that's a smaller independent school where I can be that resource. I know that some tech um, integrationists work with like a huge district and they're in charge of way too many students for that to ever happen. So again, just sharing my experiences and why it's worked, I think so well for me. Um, and so, and then using um, some of the things that I've found success with myself and with other teachers and then modeling that. So whether it be through a training that I'm able to do, and maybe I'm not training on the tool specifically, but if I'm doing a training, I'm using Pear Deck. I'm using Pear Deck to engage it. I could be talking about Flipgrid, but I'm going to be using Pear Deck because that is a way that I engage my students in the classroom. I think it's a best practice. Um, for the way that I teach. And so I'm going to do that same thing. When I'm setting up um, PD, that's how I'm doing it right now. I'm doing it through a pair deck that uh, teachers engage with at their own pace, do a student paced one so that they can work through it. And within that pair deck, am I gonna have a warm up and a closing even though it's not part of our professional development? Sure I am because it's my opportunity right now to model the things that you know I wanna work with teachers on. So that's kind of my, um, I, I think part of my strategy there is just like, all right, let me show you, let, mm -hmm. let me let you be a student for a moment because they're now seeing this tool from the lens of a student, which is different a lot of times than the teacher dashboard or whatever it is. Um, and then like, I'm really lucky to have an amazing principal who works with me a lot, who's used all these tools in our faculty meetings. So teachers have an opportunity again to engage, to see it. And then they're like, hey, I wanna do this too. Um, and then they'll reach out to me. And I think those are many times um, the best ways. And then I think the, the thing that I always love is like when a student asks for it. So recently this happened again. So it's at the top of my mind because it just happened again where a student was doing um, a presentation and it was through a Google Meet. They were getting all their um, classmates on and they said to the person who's sponsoring this um, group, hey, can I do a Pear Deck for, for this? Because I want everybody to do the Pear Deck. And the kid's saying this to the teacher and that teacher hadn't used Pear Deck in a while. So like just wanted a refresher on it. So they messaged me, make sure that, you know, if there were any problems that they could troubleshoot them. So now this student was the one who was like, 
tapping the teacher on the shoulder, like, Hey, let's use this. So that's, that's always the best. So yeah, I guess like gaining that momentum for things that we really believe in that work really well, if we can showcase why they work really well, Mm -hmm. then I do believe that it will, um, it'll spread. So how are you being intentional at this point when it comes to your marketing and branding? Now, on one end, you have done like an amazing job creating high quality videos and your YouTube channel is like, oh my goodness, I am so jelly (laughs) because I should be creating videos. But in doing that, I know when I am looking at people, right, and I can go, boom, uh, Matt Miller. I'm going to always think, even though he has a digital tech book, I'm going to say Google Man, right? Mm -hmm. Catlin Tucker, I'm going to say Blended Learning. Uh, There's all all kinds. And with you... Even though I, I, you know, I don't know if you want to have this moniker or anything with you, but I'm always thinking the whole uh, flip the classroom or how do you teach with the why come in an interactive way that involves your students. So when you are thinking, and I don't even know if you're thinking about your brand you know, in that way, right? Or you're being intentional or you're just like, I'm just waking up doing me. Uh, (laughs) When you were doing all of this, what went into you sort of discovering your voice and being able to sort of narrow down your niche to where when people start to think this educator does this, this educator does that, this educator does this, that your name comes up as what you want them to think of? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I mean, definitely my start was all in the flip classroom and that was what I talked about, you know, for years um, because that was what I was learning and what I was doing. Um, I think that the why behind it is what is my goal right now to, you know, if I had to say what I want people to think um, and the why behind it really is the social emotional learning piece. Um, I think understanding what kids really need um, and providing every student an outlet to talk to me um, and make their voice heard. So, you know, that empowering student voice to me, that's what it means is um, giving each student a platform to have their brightest voice shine. Um, And I think that different students will communicate us communicate with us very differently when they have the right platform in their hands. Um, Flipgrid has been a prime example of that. I just giving students a private check-in space where I started as a requirement because I want, if I don't start certain things as requirements, I feel like they don't catch on. If when I make them a requirement for a little bit, and then I loosen the expectation, like you use it when you need it. Well, students have all tried it. And so they discover if they like it or if they don't like it. Um, so just having a check-in space for them where they talk out um, what's going on, 
how they're understanding things, how things are coming together for them. Um, it's been so amazing to me just with that one simple tool, how some of the kids who are never going to really talk to me that much in the classroom, they're not going to stay after class. They're just like, that's just them, whether it's because of the people around them, um, whether it's just, you know, I don't know. And plus they're teenagers, right? So there's a lot of I don't knows when we're working with teenagers, which is perfectly healthy and normal for a teenager. But when I give them the space on that flip grid and the number of instances I've had where those students talk so much to me over and over and over again through Flipgrid. And I've gotten to know them in ways that I never would have been able to before. Um, last year I had a student and I mean, my whole college, they asked me to write a college letter for them. And my whole basis for writing that letter rec letter was based on more or less things that were shown through Flipgrids, whether mm -hmm. that was a math solution or just in this general chat, because this student was so vocal and wonderful through those channels, not just to talk to me, but also to help this person's peers mm -hmm. because they were in this, they were always responding because the Flipgrid, there's certain ones that are public. Those math videos are all public. Then I have the privates for the check-ins, but the public ones, this student was always helping a classmate out um, was always giving really detailed, thoughtful answers so that when somebody was going to watch their video, it was literally an explainer. They were modeling how I make my videos and they were doing that and explaining. They were explaining it from the ground up. Like somebody who's watching this and doesn't understand what to do, which is what better way to explain math and showcase that you understand your math, right? Never would I have had this relationship with this student had we not had something as simple as these flip grids. And so um, I think that to me is just like understanding students on a different level. I'm able to do that because of the tech tools. And that's, that's what I continually look for. Hmm. I got to ask you this because in what you're doing, you're also showing teachers with Pear Deck, with the Wacom tablet, how to actually teach a concurrent or synchronous classroom where kids who are in person in a class, as well as, you know, students who can be at home coming in via Zoom or Google Hangout and how everyone is able to, you know, get that same classroom experience. How did you sort of come up with that as another avenue for you to be able to offer that to teachers so that it felt seamless, right? You didn't, when I saw you doing that, I didn't feel that you were just jumping on the online bandwagon which I have seen some people on Twitter tweet some stuff and I go, you know what? I ain't heard you talk about online learning ever. I don't know. And, and, and it kind of hit me like, why are you talking about this on Twitter right now? Why are you tweeting? Why are you writing about it? You ain't, you've never, mm -hmm. I'm not calling names, but you've never written about it before. Now, now you come now like an expert, like where it's coming from. But this felt natural to me when I saw you doing it. And then watching the videos, I'm like, oh my God. Look at Stacy. Mm -hmm. 
okay, go ahead. How, how did you make that move? So I really try and, you know, for better or for worse, um, try and stick to my experiences and my story. And, and so, you know, I even said that a couple of times today, like, this is my classroom, my environment. I am at an independent K-12 school that is under a thousand students where we have class sizes of mm, maybe 15 students, um, sometimes less. Um, and so that's painted my journey. So when I talked mm -hmm. to other schools, I, I did a training with a school where I was talking to them about how I do my flip grids and we were talking through some things and they said to me, well, some of our class sizes are 50 students. I said, do you have 50 students in a class? Like, yeah, we're teaching like hundreds of students. I'm like, well, you know what? Like, you're not going to be able to do everything that I'm able to do because like, I can't, I have a fraction of your students that I'm dealing with. As a tech coach, I have a fraction of the total number of teachers that I'm working with that some other tech coaches have. So some of the things that I'm able to do are not going to be able to be widely adapted by everybody, but hopefully I can then have a conversation and we can chat about which pieces of it are going to work for this other school, um, you know, for whatever it may be. Also, like I talk about all the time, like I have not ever taught at a school where I have access issues. And so do I try and learn more about it? Absolutely, I do. Am I going to be the one who's going to volunteer to speak on that? No, because there's too many other people who have, that's part of their journey and they have so much to share. And I want to learn from them, quite honestly. So, you know, like I have flipped my classroom. I taught in a purely online classroom for a number of years before all of this happened. And even when I start um, my talks recently, like talking about my online teaching experience. I'm like, is that equivalent to the scenario we're in right now where students are learning online? No, it's not. Because you know what? Those students that I had, they chose to take that online class. And we were teaching, like I was teaching them AP Calculus AB, where I think one of the hugest pieces of the puzzle that's so challenging right now is helping students understand what they understand versus what they don't understand. Um, that to me has always been like, in teaching my online class, it was one of the biggest markers of who was going to have an easier time versus who was going to have a more challenging time. It wasn't necessarily the kid who did well the year before or got A's the year before or had A's across the board. Um, the awareness of like knowing when I need to ask for help, because in an online class, you have to know when to ask for help. I can't hear overhear all the side conversations that happen in the classroom. Mm -hmm. That's tremendously powerful for us as teachers. And we don't have that, like we cannot have that same level of interaction right now if we're doing distance learning. So, um, you know, like I, I just try and I guess share what I've learned along the way so people can learn from it, but also like be honest, like I don't have all the answers and I'm gonna tell you what works for like my, again, my students, my classroom and also my style. Because like some of the things work so well for me because of my style, like I am a planner. I like to have things like regimented, like I like to have everything done in advance. So flip classroom for me has been the key in helping me become more relaxed 
in the classroom because I'm like, you know what? I already got through that agenda. Like all of that, like stringent teacher that I don't want to bring into the classroom. I'm like kind of able to get that onto the video. I know that they got through those talking points and now in the classroom, I can be a lot more flexible. So it's been tremendous for me. Um, and that's why I think it's made me a better teacher because it works really well for my style. And do I have any problem like making sure that the videos are all prepared a week, two weeks, a month in advance? No, I don't because like, that's me again. So like I do, I think a lot of it is like, you got to know yourself mm -hmm. um, and you got to speak to what, you know, what you know about yourself. And when you speak to others, you have to have that level of empathy to know that everybody works differently and everybody's school is really different. Um, and so like, how can we work together to get you to a place that you feel comfortable working this in to what you can do in your classroom? Like, I don't want anybody to replicate what I do exactly, but I want them to hopefully take inspiration from pieces of things that have worked well for me and then adapt them to their setting. I hear you. And I love how you talk about sort of understanding your journey and building from yourself, right? And so I don't want to say that I'm lazy. My wife will say that, but I don't want to say that I'm lazy. But I am a very simple dude. I don't like a lot of fluff. I don't like a lot of hooray. I don't like a lot of steps. And so with that, when I'm working with teachers, whether it's in my school district or I'm giving a training, it is always very simple. It is always to the point. It is always actionable. It's always something that you can turn around and use tomorrow because I'm not going to get on here. And as much as I love to maybe talk about digital innovation and transformation and all of these things that are going on, stuff that I can intellectually geek out about, I don't take that to people. I get in and I say, and even the online piece, when I'm talking about how do you design your digital lesson in Schoology, I, I don't bring them uh, Addy. I don't bring them all of these, you know, instructional design theories and all that stuff that is a minefield to go through. I look at, okay, what does our district use? We use gradual release. And in that, I said, this is our framework. And I walked them through, well, what does that look like inside of Schoology in an online class? Yep. And I keep it simple. We keep it moving. We are, and I always keep bringing that back, bringing that back. So even today I was doing the training. I was saying, listen, when it comes to guided practice, you're going to go in Schoology and you're going to click this assignment with Cami, And then you're going to pull up, go to your teacher toolbox and that PDF that you have from our curriculum, you're going to pull that up, right? You're going to create your assignment that way. And that way, as you are going through that, your students will be doing that same thing with you inside of Schoology, being able to type on it. Since it's Cami, they can actually, they can type in the blanks, they can type in the boxes, they can, you know, highlight, circle, whatever, put a shape on something. And you are doing this thing together as, as guided practice should do. And after they're done, they can actually turn it in. And once you get it, you can actually grade it or give feedback or what have you. But I do it in a way to where it's not me just going in saying, click, 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 click. Woo -hoo -hoo. But I want them to be able to go, oh, I see this. Yep. 
and then you go back and use it tomorrow. Uh, and it, I feel good now about the groove that I'm doing. You know, I'm like, yeah, this is all right. Uh, but it took me time to get here and then took this pandemic for me to sort of really go, okay, Will, cut the BS, what are you about? And now I just go in, no sizzle, here it is, let's get up out of here, you know? And uh, it's, it's been, it's been awesome. Your sizzle though. <laughs> you always bring some energy and some sizzle. <laughs> We have a good time. We have a good time. But, you know, it's just not about me trying to be grandiose with it, you know, mm -hmm. just making sure that, you know, they understand the how. Mm -hmm. I kind of talk about the why a little bit, but they don't really, you know, most of them, they don't really care about the why. Uh, so, but the how and making sure they understand that the how of it is about how you can use this to shift Yes. Because every individual has to come up with their individual why. So we, that's why I don't come out with it. But I can tell them all day, this is where education is going. We ain't going back. Yeah. They don't want to hear that. They were tired in March. I know. And thought we were going to be going, you know, they were like, okay, we're going to go back to school the regular way. And some schools tried it. And then the Rona came in and said, I ain't gone yet. <laughs> and they're they back. What are they doing? They're back doing the... Uh, virtual or hybrid. So they're back in that same situation. And so for me, it's more so I'd rather not sort of kick the bucket <laughs> and, and, and sort of antagonize you because you're mentally, you might not be in the space anyway to really have that conversation of where is education going, but allow you to be the best you can be with what is going on right now. And so that's how I've been approaching what I do. That's yeah, it's, it, it, it's gotta be the toughest time ever. I mean, and I also like when I'm presenting things right now, I'm trying to tread very carefully because I know how overwhelmed, um, how overwhelmed teachers just feel just because of the amount of things that are, they're being asked to juggle. I mean, this is not hopefully anything that we'll ever have to experience again. Um, so I, I hear you a hundred percent thinking about how people are feeling, trying to understand, be there for them um, and push very gently, but really mm -hmm. be supportive uh, along the way. And, and so I'm doing the same of really allowing people to ask to ask questions when they're ready to get there. To, um, I, every week I send out a tip for my teachers and people respond to that. I'm, I'm just loving seeing how like differentiated people are and when they're responding to it and when they're getting to it, because a lot of teachers are just, they don't, they'll, they'll see the email pop into their inbox and they'll be like, nope, not, not now. Um, but maybe in two months, they'll go back to that same email. They'll pop it back up because they're like, mm, you know what? I know that you, or they'll write me back and say, could you resend that email? Because mm -hmm. I like, I remember you talked about this. I wasn't ready for it then, but I'm ready for it now. So I think um, that's something else that's keeping me going. Just thinking about something that might help one person right now, but might help a lot of people down the road. So let's just keep some of those like simple ideas flowing. Mm -hmm. um, and just knowing that most people aren't going to be there yet. And that's totally fine. 
um, they can archive it. They'll probably read the headline. That's what I've experienced. They'll probably read at least part of that email. They store it somewhere in the back of their mind. They know it's there. And then it pops back into their head later. Like, I think you shared something. Uh, could you reshare it? And now, and that's another thing about being digital or making YouTube videos is that easy reference, right? And like, I still have it for you. I still got it. Like, no, no big deal. Let's, let's talk about it now. Um, and so meeting people where they're at and you know what, it's more of like that asynchronous world that I think, uh, we'll see a lot of benefit to, um, that like PD doesn't have to happen all at the same spot for everybody. It's not the best for anybody most of the time. I mean, yes, we still need energizing speakers. And sometimes we just had um, Dr. Catlin Tucker actually came, came uh, virtually <laughs> to our school. And we just had an awesome PD with her. And, you know, I think it was just a great lift of energy, um, have somebody come um, from outside and speak to us. And it was right after Thanksgiving break and, you know, just some ideas, some templates, some of that stuff. And, and we got to experience it. And I think it was really great. Now there'll be follow-up and I can do that follow-up and people can get it when they need. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think there's a lot in that asynchronous PD and I hope we do a lot more of that. Awesome. Awesome. Dr. Catlin Tucker is featured in my documentary, The Entrepreneur. So slap a link so you can go pick that up and check her out. So thank you, Stacey, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun talking with you. Same here, same here. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, and Stitcher. I need you to subscribe and share with your fam, your colleagues, everyone you know. I like the stars. They're great. But if you can leave a review or a comment, that would be awesome. Because not only am I trying to be found, but your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show. And I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Stacey Rochelle, for coming on and sharing her journey to becoming an entrepreneur. And I'd like to thank you again for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace.